0: Uh, uh, uh. Hello there, this is Eric Shinrod from Dwayne Morris with your weekly Tech Law 10. I'm joined as always by my partner in tech, Jonathan Armstrong from Quarterly across the pond in the UK. This is episode 231, Jonathan. So you have some fireworks in mind for this auspicious occasion. What's on your mind, Jonathan?
1: Well, there are potentially fireworks coming uh, your way or our way, depending on which way you look at it, uh, Eric, on Saturday. Why Saturday? Because the European Parliament have asked for the Privacy Shield scheme, which most multinational corporations use in one form or another to help with their data flows from the EU to the US. They've asked for that scheme to be suspended Uh, from Saturday onwards. So let's backtrack. What are the issues here? Well, uh, as I've said, Privacy Shield was a scheme that was invented, if you like, by the European Commission to replace a scheme called Safe Harbor, which was effectively struck down by the court as part of the Schrems protests uh, way back in the day against uh, data transfer particularly by Facebook. And you might remember that the strike down of Safe Harbor caused all sorts of panic and consternation, because even those businesses that hadn't registered for Safe Harbor themselves often relied on vendors that had. So in this, uh, you know, the, the connected corporate world that we have these days, many corporations don't process payroll themselves or they use a global hr platform or they use a travel management solution to move people from a to b to z and in most cases those vendors use safe harbor as a way of legitimizing uh, used safe harbor as a way of legitimizing data transfer and now they use privacy shield instead so privacy shield was effectively safe harbor 2 and very over the relevant commissioner said that she invented the word privacy shield to show the differences between privacy shield and safe harbor. Now, some people think that there is not a great deal of difference between the two schemes. When I interviewed Max Schrems, for example, I think his exact words were, it's just safe harbor with flowers on it. And the European Parliament seems to have a similar view. They say that the commitments made by the Obama administration to increasing the privacy rights of EU nationals have, they say, not been followed through by the Trump administration. They are concerned that the ombudsman that the Obama administration said that they would appoint hasn't yet been appointed by the Trump administration, although by all accounts there is somebody in the Trump administration doing an able job as the interim uh, ombudsman. Um, And the parliaments are also concerned about what is perceived as unfortunate words from Wilbur Ross in the U.S. administration about GDPR and saying that um, a new trade war was emerging between the EU and the U.S. over data and that some of the motivation behind GDPR, in uh, his words, Uh, was a direct attack on U.S. technology businesses and seeking to hamper the way in which they made money. So um, all of this has led to a number of challenges, both through the courts, in part, again, uh, with some litigation that's headed for the European Court uh, as part of another uh, complaint by Max Schrems, in part through court challenges from privacy groups in Ireland and La Quadritude Net in France, and in part through some regulators expressing their concern. Now, as a result, the European Parliament asked that uh, Privacy Shield be suspended on Saturday unless the U.S. administration used the next uh, 24, 48 hours as, as we speak now um, to uh, appoint a full-time ombudsman and to make good the promises that, uh, that the Obama administration made back in the day. My suspicion is that it's unlikely, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would say it's unlikely that the U.S. will make those commitments uh, this week. Um, and I think it's equally unlikely that the Commission will wake up at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning and suspend the Privacy Shield scheme. I do think, however, that uh, as well as the threats that Privacy Shield faces from the European Data Protection Board, this this group of European data protection regulators, and as well as the threats it receives through this court litigation, I think there is a danger that the European Commission may pull out of Privacy Shield. That might be next month, uh, it might be October time, I, I would suggest. Um, rather than now, or they might serve some sort of notice to withdraw on the U.S. administration. Again, I would say the most likely time for that would be in October, when uh, Wilbur Ross is scheduled to meet with Vera Urova to discuss uh, Privacy Shield. As you might remember, Eric, because you're astute, Um, The original idea was that Privacy Shield was to have an annual review. Now, um, the European Commission have a different view of what an annual review is. I think mere mortals would think that an annual review means, I guess, a review every year. Um, The Commission's view seems to be that an annual review uh, can take place in October for a scheme that was brought in in july um that's an interesting use of the word annual but the commission have said that they intend to do the annual review in october this year and, and, and that might be a sign that the the pressure cooker of complaint is boiling and the lid might just blow off i'd suspect more likely in october rather than september And obviously, that will have potentially huge ramifications for every multinational corporation. Most of them, as I say, even if they're not signed up to Privacy Shield themselves, they'll use vendors that do. Uh, The other options, consent is much tougher to achieve under uh, GDPR, uh, to legitimize data transfer, Standard contractual clauses are themselves subject to court challenge. They're based on more or less the same foundation as Privacy Shield. So if Privacy Shield collapses, standard contractual clauses may collapse as well. And binding corporate rules, the new kid on the block, the last list published by the European data regulators, shows that around about 130 corporations have signed up to binding corporate rules, significantly higher than the last time the list came out maybe around double, uh, just, j- just, just under double. So it seems that a lot of multinational corporations are voting with their feet and jumping into the binding corporate rules uh, system and out of Privacy Shield. But whatever happens on Saturday, I think the, uh, there's certainly a rocky road ahead for Privacy hmm. Shield, and I think it'll lead to its ultimate death. Uh, from a U.S. Huh. perspective, do you think that's a worry? Yes,
0: absolutely. First, I want to say that it was extremely articulate and very helpful, but also very thick. There's so much going on there, and plainly our listeners can tell that our one Jonathan Armstrong knows what he's talking about and he understands all the subtleties and all the potential layers to the to the onion. However, you can sort of peel them off one by one, but to most of us mere mortals, it's extremely complicated and confusing, and it causes quite a bit of uncertainty. And this is an area where we need certainty. Uh, mm-hmm. There is so much uh, having to do with you know, data flow and data transfers from our side, uh, here in the US to Europe. Uh, we need to know uh, what rules apply and what protections need to be afforded. And you know, generally speaking, uh, from a high level perspective, uh, in my practice I've seen that Europe does tend to protect and guard privacy more than we do here, so we have to make sure that we employ whatever measures or safeguards are needed to comply when data flows from here to the EU. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but this is not a model of clarity. I mean, your explanations are as clear as they can be, but in terms of the road going forward, we just really don't know. And, you know, even when something as simple as an annual review, it's just a matter of a few months as opposed to an actual year, and you talk about the uh, potential ultimate death of Privacy Shield, then what happens after that? So maybe I'll throw that back to you to respond briefly, and then we'll wrap up the 10 of Tech Law 10, which we
1: might have passed already. Yeah, I, I think I think the future is an uncertain place. One yeah. glimmer on, on the horizon for you, uh, Eric, and your um, Whatever the word for compatriots is when it relates to a state uh, relates back to our last podcast, of course, California is uh, bringing in legislation which will be um, which could pass an eu adequacy decision, so we could reach the situation let's say two years down the pike when the u s is not regarded as a safe place to transfer eu data. Mm -hmm. but California is. So California itself could theoretically at least get favored nation status and admitted to the EU safe club. Now, we've never seen part of a country apply uh, for that uh, status previously. We could have some debate, I guess, about the status of the Channel Islands legally. But um, (laughs) there is at least a mechanism in place for California potentially to make that application. And that would, of course, be a really interesting situation and could favor Californian businesses against businesses located in other parts of the U.S. So uh, another off-the-wall thought to watch, but you're right, it's a very complex situation. It's one that people are going to have to monitor both over the weekend and going forward. And just to respond on the California point, as I mentioned in our episode
0: 230, I, most immediately preceding episode, even the potential California law is incredibly sick and, and confusing. And then even if it were clear and the safeguards were good enough for European data to come to California, would it really stay confined to California when our businesses, of course, you know, are, are more than just in this state and the data is not necessarily confined only here. That's a whole other topic, but a very interesting idea, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing uh, what you have. Uh, clearly, you'll be monitoring this and uh, you know, updating us as this goes on. Uh, this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. Uh, please feel free to continue to provide us with ideas for future podcasts. This is 231, but we're going strong. You can reach me at ejsinrod at You can find us on the usual social
1: media outlets, and Jonathan, bring it home. Thanks very much. Um, this is Jonathan Armstrong. Jonathan.armstrong at cordycompliance.com. As Eric said, we love to hear from you with suggestions for topics, etc. We look forward to speaking to you again next time around. Cheers.